0: Before we start, Father, I want to lift up Annalita Leatherwood, Lord, as she continues to work through things, Lord, with affection in her arm, pain. We ask, Father, that you'd give the doctors wisdom, and Lord, that she might soon be healed. Father, I think of Fernando and Yolanda Vargas as they care for two fathers in their home. We ask, God, that you'd give them strength and grace, and Father, that each of their fathers, Lord, might have a clear understanding of who you are. And Father, if they don't know you, that they might put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We think of Marga Rodriguez, who cares for her elderly mother and for her sister who has cancer. Lord, we pray that for that family, that you might encourage them. And Father, they might lean on you. And Father, finally, we do pray again for the finances. Lord, we recognize, God, that you're able. Father, we ask that you would help us to give, Father, out of hearts. Father, they're filled with gratitude and joy for all that we have in Christ Jesus. And we do pray now, Father, for now, Lord, that your spirit might speak through me. Father, our hearts as individuals and in as church might be open to you and to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some 33, 35 years ago, during the years before I trusted Christ as my Savior, I remember discussing religion after I had a few too many drinks. Now back then, there was more of a discussion of who was right. Were the Southern Baptists growing up in Alabama, were they right? Or was it the Methodist? I was a Methodist back then. I didn't know Christ, but I was a Methodist. A lot of times the next day I wouldn't know what I said. Since coming to Christ, I've been in situations where there are people that have had too much to drink, and I've heard them talking about their faith in Jesus Christ and how important God is to them. And sometimes, even as they've argued, they've argued with another drinking buddy about the gospel. Somehow, I find it just incompatible that drunkenness, alcohol, go in together with sharing the gospel. There's just something incompatible about evangelism and drunkenness. They just don't seem to go together. We're not attached today, Ephesians chapter five. If you haven't got your Bible open already, Ephesians chapter five, verses fifteen through twenty-one. Paul writes about the incompatibility of drunkness and of being filled with the Spirit as he encourages the Ephesian church to walk wisely. Paul confronts the warped thinking among some Christians at the church at Corinth as they were taking communion. In chapter 11, he, he talks about the fact that the wealthy would, would bring lavish meals as they celebrated the Lord's Supper. For the poor came with nothing. Some got drunk. And Paul says of the situation, For in, in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry. Another gets drunk. In our passage today, again, Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21, we see a contrast between the life filled by the Spirit in our former walk is non believers. Let's look at the text in context. Ephesians chapter one, two, and three just kind of really reveal God's eternal plan, his purposes for the church. Chapter one talks about all the spiritual blessings we have in Christ Jesus. Chapter two is that powerful passage that says you are dead in your trespasses and sin, but God made us alive. It's through faith in Jesus Christ and grace that we're saved. Chapter 5 opens up and Paul instructs the Ephesians to walk in love first. And then a few verses later he says to walk as children of light. A passage today continues that contrast, looking at the behavior of the believer and non believer, and it looks at The contrast between wisdom and foolishness. Wisdom and foolishness. The first exhortation that we see from Paul in verse 15 says, Look carefully. In other words, pay careful attention Then how you walk. Not as unwise, but wise. And this exhortation, to walk wisely, is amplified by three additional exhortations. And they begin with... Not this way, but this way. It says, Making the best use of your time, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look carefully then how we walk. We need to look careful, be careful. The first contrast we see here in this need to walk wisely is to make the best of the time because the days are evil. Today, we live in a fast-paced life. I was reading the other day about someone who was um, doing a multiplicity of different things at one time. We're busy. Our schedules keep us on the run. I know that each of us sometimes go through the weekends and we think, that was weekend, because we're tired. We're going to go all the time. And we need to be careful about our use of our time, investing in people rather than watching TV or downloading movies or TV programs from Netflix or going to to movies or sometimes just using our computer. The urgency and the danger there because the days are evil will come up later on in Ephesians chapter 6 as it looks at spiritual warfare that we go through. We need today to make the best use of our time. The second contrast amplifying this need to walk wisely is to do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. To understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, usually when we in our daily walk think about, well, what's God's will for my life? You know those those big three. You know, um, who should I marry? What job should I get? Um, what you know, career should I go into? What school am I going to? Those kinds of things. And, and yeah, that's that's a part in one sense. You know, another reference sometimes to God's will is. Uh, just how do we live daily? How do we, how do we in our general sense, live in such a way that we please God? And of course, we know that is Colossians 3.16 is to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let God's word dominate you. I think James Montgomery Boris may have the best idea here as he says that Paul is interested in more uh, than in knowing God's will in Scripture, he's concerned with wisdom. He's concerned with wisdom, which is more than acquiring information. He suggests that Paul is concerned with our perception of what God is doing in history, and with our wisdom in knowing how to respond to it. If we go back to the Old Testament in First Chronicles twelve thirty two. He talks about the the men from Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. These men understood the times. and knew what God was doing. And in turn, were wise enough to lead Israel in such a way. And I think this passage here is saying to us that we need to know what God is doing and be able to respond in such a way. Well, the third contrast that amplifies this walk wisely exhortation is the need to not get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but to be filled with the spirit. Drunkness has no place in a believer's life. We have a problem in our culture with, with, um, with drinking and driving, with men drinking on campuses, um, and with the idea that we need to have fun, and in order to have fun, we have to drink. Drunkness really has no place whatsoever in the life of the believer. And this question of how we can watch carefully how we walk is multiplied if we're drunk, because we can't discern. Drinking alcohol may not be a sin, but we need to be very wise, we need to be very discerning. And we need to encourage and make people aware of the dangers and the abuse of it. It impairs our judgment so we're able to walk carefully. Well, I mentioned earlier that Paul corrected some believers in, in Corinth who got drunk as they were celebrating communion. He talked about how some came with lavish meals and others with nothing. The poor went hungry and yet others got drunk. We know that some of the religions back in those days used wine as a means of communion, supposedly with their gods. And by this communion, they were able to receive these ecstatic knowledge that that otherwise weren't attainable. In some cults, intoxication was a way to means of inspiration. Of course, some heathen religions even used wine as a is a way that led to debauchery and to to sin sexually. The control of the Spirit leads to clear thinking and to wisdom, but the control that wine has on anyone can be harmful and sometimes destructive. And so Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. I want to kind of sit here today and... And really focus on this passage. Because I think it's so important. Not just because it's dealing with with the wine and drinking, but being filled with the Spirit as we look at the Holy Spirit in this series. First, we see a mandate to be filled with the Spirit, it's a command, it's an imperative uh, uh, mode, it's not an option. It's not an option. So he's commanding us to be filled with the Spirit. And it's in a passive way, passive force. be filled. It's not something that you and I do. You know, we always want to, to do things. We want to accomplish things. Um, but it's something is done to us. The New English Bible says, translates this, let the Holy Spirit fill you. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. There's no technique to learn or formula to follow. Just a repentant heart which turns from sin and submits to God. The verb to be filled there is in the present tense continuous. Keep on being filled. Keep on being filled. It's not a once for all experience. Jesus, if you remember, gave instructions to the disciples to fill the the tubs. Um, with wine as a one-time thing this is different here is be filled with the Spirit means keeps, keep on being filled it's moment by moment yielding to the Holy Spirit it doesn't mean that we're getting more of the Holy Spirit we have all of the Holy Spirit already when we trusted Christ we were indwelt by the Spirit we don't get any more of Him He, he, he lives within us totally It's simply allowing the Spirit to control every area of our lives. This address here is plural also. It means it's not just just a few people to these elite who can be filled with spirit. It is for the whole church. The whole body of Christ is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, if we have this command to be filled with the Spirit, what does it mean? To be filled with the Spirit. What does it mean? was that sad is to be filled with the spirit is to live consciously of god's presence to fill our minds with god's word to have his thoughts be our thoughts to have his standards of conduct be our standards of conduct as we yield to christ his word and his spirit will lead us in all that we say and do and think To be filled with the Spirit isn't some kind of dramatic, mysterious experience of suddenly being energized and spiritualized. On the other hand, it's not the opposite. Sometimes people think that it's being stoic with no emotions. As I mentioned earlier, it's not the same thing as being indwelt. The Spirit of God indwells every believer at the point of conversion. As Pastor Eric mentioned last week in his sermon If we don't have the Spirit living within us, we're not believers. We're not in Christ. We're not Christians. This verb, being filled, is more than like we think. use the word "fill." I go to the gas station and I fill my gas tank up. This is not what the word is talking about here. It's more like the wind. If you can imagine a sailboat and the wind fills the sail and it moves the sailboat along. It's maybe like something that permeates something. If we are getting ready to cook and we marinate a meat or we put salt on a meat, it permeates the whole thing. We see examples of this uh, thing of, of, of being controlled throughout Scripture. In Luke 4... 28 and 29, it says that when they, the, the Pharisees and Jews, heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And it says they chased Christ out and they wanted to throw him over the cliff because they were filled with wrath. When we're filled with wrath, nothing else controls us, does it? It's just that wrath. Acts thirteen forty-five. when Paul was speaking uh, to the the people that the whole town turned out, and it says that the Jews were filled with jealousy, filled with jealousy. We all probably have had these times of being jealous, and when we're jealous of someone, it controls us totally. We can go to the passage where Jesus Christ was led by the Spirit of God to be tempted, whether well, it's in Luke 4, Matthew 4, or Mark 1, um, Luke 4, 1 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. In Mark chapter 1, it says, in one version, the Spirit immediately drove him to wilderness. The NLT says the Spirit compelled Jesus. So we're to be filled with the Spirit, not in the sense of, like, filling our bathtub or our gas tank, but is allowing the Spirit to so permeate our lives that he controls us. A second question that we might have is about being filled is, what do I need to do? We've kind of talked about that it already. is confession of sin. If God is dealing with us and we refuse to yield to him, we want to be filled, then we need to confess our sin. Secondly, it's surrendering our will. Each of us struggle with, with surrendering our desires and our wills to God. We need to do that. It's the death to ourselves, to what we want, and that moment-by-moment moment yielding. It's trusting God. But you say, how... Can we tell when we're filled with the Spirit? Well, Paul mentions four different examples or evidences of being filled with the Spirit in verses 19 through 21. If you will, let's look there. It goes on and says, you know, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So these manifestations are the consequences of being filled with the Spirit. First one, I believe, is joy. It says they address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody within your heart. When the Spirit of God fills us, there's a joy, no matter what's going on in our lives. It says that we're to speak to one another. I don't think we're, and I know you wouldn't want me to go around speaking to you and singing with my voice. That's not what the context is. It's the joy of the Lord is to so fill our hearts that, that we're just bursting out with joy and thanksgiving. Even... And in the midst of tough times, if you go back to Acts 16, Paul and Silas were, in, were in, in prison, in jail. It says at midnight that they were singing and praising God and praying. Now that takes being filled with the Spirit, right? That's example of how we're to be filled with the Spirit and how joy, which is a part of the fruit of the Spirit, by the way, fills us. Again, joy is not this emotion. Joy isn't dependent on circumstances. I've known people, I've seen Christians full of joy in the midst of suffering. I've seen Christians filled with joy in the midst of loss of loved ones. Paul says for us to be content in whatever situation we're in. Christians filled with the Spirit enjoy being together and, and experience a special sense of joyful oneness in the Lord. Well, in verse 19, we also see evidence that worship is part of filling feeling of the Spirit. It says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Colossians 3, 15 and 16 it's almost verbatim, if not verbatim, this passage here. It talks about addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Some people have made a big deal about these differences and these, and there are some differences. But I wonder, if maybe that this reference is just simply the fact that God enjoys various types of music. And he longs for us to worship him. Our music needs to be biblical. And over the years, oh my, over the years, we have struggled when sometimes a verse gets up that that isn't biblical. And we get comments, and we're thankful that you recognize that. We want our words that we sing to God to be biblical. Evidence of being filled with spirit. One is joy. Two is worship of God. Three is gratitude. Verse 20 says, Give thanks always and for everything to God and Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to always acknowledge that all that we have and all that we are comes from Christ Jesus, it comes from God. He's given us the mind we have, He's given us. The skills, the abilities, rather. He gives us the ability to develop that. Everything we have is from God. Sometimes it's hard to give thanks to God in everything. But if we allow the Spirit to lead us, we'll see that in the midst of life with its struggles, that God wants to work in our lives. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5 says, We rejoice in our suffering, Knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Can you and can I be thankful in the midst of suffering? Can we be thankful in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of grief? And sorrow, we can, as we lean on God and yield to the Spirit. Well, the the evidences of being filled with the Spirit, we've seen joy. And again, not just that emotional joy, but that joy no matter what the circumstances are. Worshiping God with hearts that are filled with awareness of who He is. Third, gratitude, recognizing that everything we have comes from God. And finally, in verse 21, we see the fourth evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Filling of the Spirit is evident in our submission to one another. It's not just to those who are in authority over us, but to each other. And it should come, it says, not out of a fear of each other, but out of a fear of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submission is that focus of becoming up is so important in the rest of chapter 5 into chapter 6. Paul will look at submission in the area of, of marriage. He looks at submission in the area of, of parenting with children and and mom and dad. And it looks at submission in the area of work. Submission, a part of our relationships. William Barclay says that they, they saw each other not in the light of their professions or their social standings, but in the light of Christ. And therefore, they saw dignity in every man we able to submit and interact. I haven't heard the whole tape. I, I heard parts of it, but um, Pastor Chuck Morey, in the Elder Meeting, shared about Chuck Swindoll when he spoke to Moody Bible Institute's 125th anniversary. He covered a lot of things, but in one part of the speech, he was talking about the professors and talking to the administration, and he was saying, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart to administrators he said, when you're looking at these finances and you're seeing the need to enlarge the enrollment, don't forget why you exist. It's for the students. And for the teachers, he encouraged them to remember the student in the midst of busy schedules. And then he gave an illustration of a president some years back at Denver Seminary. Spoken chapel there at Denver. And he noticed a young man who got up and walked out. And he made a point to remember, and then afterwards he went down, he found the guy in the kitchen. The guy was sobbing. And the president of the Seminary then knelt down beside him and he whispered to this young man, I love you. I care for you. I'll be here until you work through what you're working through. He stayed with him. Turn out, this young man who was sobbing was Dr. Vernon Grounds who eventually became president of Denver Seminary. We never know in life who we interact with, and God wants us, no matter our position, to be submissive in the sense of caring and having reverence and respect. As Barkay said, we don't look at professional standing or our social standing we look at the dignity of who people are. John Stott says, as he looks at these four areas of, 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 um, of fruit, of the consequences of being filled, he says, these are the result of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And they concern our relationships. They concern our relationships. If we're filled with the Spirit of God, we're going to act differently to all those around us. He says, if we're filled with the Spirit, we shall be in harmoniously related both to God, and he talks about worshiping God with joy, and in thanksgiving. And he says, and with each other, speaking to each other in the psalms and songs and submitting. So as we yield to the Spirit of God, as we allow the Spirit to, to control us. It affects all our relationships horizontally with each other and vertically with God. Well Paul has exhorted the believers to walk wisely. He developed this instruction with three exhortations that were contrast. Not this, but this. We've seen the results of being filled with the Spirit, joy as we interact with each other, worship of God, gratitude for all he's done for us, submission, reverence for each other. I think one of the tests of a Spirit-filled church is its music. And sometimes we have benchmarks in the world that may not be necessarily the same. Some think that a spirit-filled church is a church where people sing skillfully, dramatically, maybe with some dancing. Um, maybe others see the importance of clapping. Maybe raised hands. On the other hand, there are some churches that really think that spirit-filled is restraint. And music must be an expression of reverence for God. And neither approach sets a church apart as being spirit-filled. I never forget when Chris and I were at inner-city impact and we went to this United Methodist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, probably a church of four or 5,000. You walk in to this Methodist Church and you sense the Spirit of God powerfully. Another church that supported us as a ministry at ICI and in Good News in the first years was Broadwood Presbyterian Church. It's a church that's wealthy, yes. They support hundreds of missionaries. In their worship style, they have a little ensemble. They have horns and they have all these instruments. High church. I tell you what. It's a church that loves God. It's a church that's filled with the Spirit is a church that teaches God's Word. Remember, raising hands in itself doesn't mean that we're Spirit-filled. It can definitely be a part of our expression to God as we raise our hands in worship and praise of God. But acknowledge and realize that there are others who worship God differently. Well, the spirituality of, of singing is not how we feel or how we are fulfilled as we sing. My focus should be on God and who He is. Our music speaks to others and to God about who He is. Our music should admonish others to be obedient to God. And we should speak In our songs of thanksgiving to God, we should give praise and glory as we lift the name of Jesus Christ. There's a song called The Heart of Worship. It says, when the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you required. You search much deeper within, through the ways things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you, Father. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, when it's all about you. It's all about you. The spirit-filled life is not necessarily, I believe, evident in carelessness or thoughtlessness or structurelessness, but in godly wisdom, as we walk wisely and allow the spirit to lead us and guide us. As I think of, of Sunday morning here, When Pastor Eric or I preach, we study hours during the week. But we also pray beforehand, Lord, take away anything that's from me and not from you. We want you to lead us. I know also as Mike gets together with the band, they don't just come up on Sunday morning and play some songs. They may know all these songs, but they practice because they want quality and there is a schedule but at the same time and we've told Mike this Mike sometimes as he allows the spirit of God to lead he throws in another song or he may do the same song another time because he's being led by the spirit it's not about us exalting ourselves. It's about submitting, submitting ourselves to what edifies the body of Christ. We need to be careful about judging the Spirit's filling by standards which are of the flesh, rather than God's Word. God says, walk wisely. Walk wisely. It involves choices and disciplined living. It requires that we have a sense of the times, as I mentioned earlier. So we have the wisdom to follow what God is doing. It shuns foolishness and seeks, as much as possible, to follow the purposes and plans of God. It means worshiping wisely rather than foolishly. Our music should, and I believe, does communicate to others in such a way that we're edified. Now, should communicate about God and who he is with gratitude. And I believe it does. Being filled with the Spirit means living sacrificially toward others, recognizing that they are special because God made them. And seeking above all else to please God rather than to fill our lives with pleasure. What God calls us, walk wisely do not be drunk but be filled with the spirit let's pray our father we bow down before you acknowledging God the riches of your glory father we ask God that you would work in our lives Lord that we might be strengthened father we might be able to comprehend your law for us the breadth, the depth. Father, that we might, in turn, allow you to fill us. That our lives might be totally given over to you so we might walk with you and serve you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. As Mike in the van leads us in worship, if the counselors, prayer counselors come up, If you come today needing prayer, um, feel free to, to come up. To close up, remember this afternoon and each day that God, through His Holy Spirit, is able to do far more than we can even imagine to comprehend as we yield our lives to Him and trust Him. Go in the peace and the joy of our Lord Jesus Christ.